Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, you guys? For this episode, we're going to discuss Lincoln's eulogy of our 11th president, Zachary Taylor, July 25th, 1850. This is a surprisingly interesting topic. As many of you know from my previous podcast, I was going to do a full podcast on the eulogy, and I got so caught up in Lincoln's poem, Why Should the Mortals Be Proud, that I decided to do a whole separate podcast on Lincoln's favorite poem. But the eulogy itself is very interesting as well, and that's what we're going to cover in this particular podcast, because... Lincoln loved Zachary Taylor, and it's interesting to explore why he loved him, given that Zachary Taylor was a slaveholder. Now, I've never done a super deep dive into the research onto why he liked Zachary Taylor or why he thought he was such a good fit for President of the United States, but that's essentially what this podcast is going to be about, is a description of what was it about this Southern slaveholding general that animated Lincoln so much. I think some of it was the politics. Um, Taylor was a pragmatist, and even though he was made the unfortunate decision to participate in the evil system of slavery, he did uh, oppose its expansion into federal territories. And it's just one of those things that anyone living in this time period is faced with this horrible evil. And the country struggled with that, and it continues to struggle with the legacy of the decision that our country made to allow slavery, why it happened, and how it resolved it. And Lincoln, though, made the decision to support Zachary Taylor, which I think is very interesting, um, because he ultimately was the president that led our nation to destroy and crush this heinous institution. And the absolute tip of the spear of crushing that. Uh, evil institution was Ulysses S. Grant, who probably did more than any abolitionist to destroy this institution, which I think is a separate lesson, but there's nothing like the force of arms and toughness to achieve the goals, if necessary, of um, achieving what the country needed to do, which was to terminate this evil institution. But Grant loved Zachary Taylor, too. So we're going to explore what got Lincoln to this point um, to, to be selected to give the eulogy. Now, this was not a eulogy given at Zachary Taylor's funeral. This eulogy was given at City Hall um, by various um, supporters of Zachary Taylor in Chicago, 1850. Lincoln just happened to be there in Chicago um, trying a patent case. So we'll get a little bit of the details of that. But Lincoln loved Zachary Taylor. He loved his leadership qualities, his style. Um, he did love his politics. He was an enthusiastic supporter of Zachary Taylor, um, one of our few Whig presidents that was ever elected president um, before it went into the sunset with the emergence of the Republican Party. And we'll get a little bit into 
Grant's connection to Zachary Taylor, why Zach loved him so, why Grant loved Zach, uh, Zachary Taylor so much. And then we'll probably get a little bit into the poetry of why should the spirit of the mortals be proud? I mean, it's such a good, and now the poem's not that good, but the fact that Lincoln loved the poem, I think says a lot about Lincoln. So we're gonna elaborate a little bit more on that. But so let's, let's talk a little bit first about um, the why question. Why is Zachary Taylor so important and why should we look at this particular eulogy that was given July 25th, 1850? Well, this is something that I myself just discovered by accident. I have a, a selected text of Lincoln's speeches um, written from or given from 1832 to 1858. So basically up through the Lincoln-Douglas uh, debates of 1858. And it's just fun occasionally just to dive in and read this book. I encourage you, we'll post a link to this book on the Rockney cast, but includes all of basically Lincoln's writ writings between this time period, his letters, his speeches, his eulogies. And I discovered the eulogy on Zachary Taylor. I knew that uh, Grant loved Zachary Taylor and Lincoln also loved Zachary Taylor. So I thought, wow, let's explore this, this um, eulogy and figure out why should we care about Zachary Taylor? this relatively indistinguished president, or should I say undistinguished president, um, that only served a year and four months before he died famously after eating a bowl of cherries in the White House um, with some milk that apparently spoiled. So I think he got some sort of cholera or get some sort of intestinal reaction, but he did die and he only served a year, a year and four months. Widely considered to be one of the worst, not worst presidents, but a lower quartile president, did not have the gifts in the field, um, that did not translate to the presidency, um, but he is a very important historical figure, and I would argue that he is in the lineage of ultimately helping our country destroy slavery, because he inspired men like Lincoln, he inspired uh, U.S. Grant in terms of his leadership skills. Now, I did a whole podcast, and then we're going to do a lot of podcasts on U.S. Grant because I have a total man crush on U.S. Grant. Maybe it's because Grant embodied all of the qualities that I don't, I'm a talker. I, I probably talk too much. Zach, Grant was quiet. And a lot of times, the only way you knew that Grant was there is that, as Lincolns would say, things get when, when, when Grant's around. So Grant um, meets Zachary Taylor um, during the Mexican-American War. Grant is a relatively um, low down on the totem pole, I think second lieutenant. He had graduated from West Point, but not one of the higher ups. And Grant really admired um, Grant uh, Taylor and Taylor admired Grant. So these are two men that saw similar characteristics in one another. And I think we can learn what made uh, old rough and ready that Zachary Taylor so appealing to Grant and Grant observed him directly. Well, for here, I'm relying on a grant um, by Gene Edward Smith, which I think for those of you who love history, this is the best definitive biography of U.S. Grant. So get this one. Don't get the Ron Chernow one. It's not nearly as good. This is the one you need to get, Gene Edward Smith. And he writes that um, the Taylor was a gifted commander, and that's one of the reasons why I liked him, but it wasn't only that. And this is what appealed to Grant. Um, it was that he wasn't an ormally, overly stylish. He didn't, form, he didn't focus on style, he focused on stub substance. According to uh, Gene Edward Smith, instead of a general 
and this is referring to Taylor, uh, instead of a general's uniform, he habitually wore blue denim pants, a long linen duster, and a big palmetto hat. Quote, unquote, he dressed entirely for comfort, wrote Grant, rarely wearing anything in the field to indicate his rank, or even that he was an officer. The other leadership quality that Taylor demonstrated, according to Grant, is that he saw the field through the troops' eyes. So in other words, the people that were actually doing the work, he committed to them and understood what they were seeing. And that disarming manner helped him form a strong personal bond with the men. He was easygoing. He knew what mattered. But most importantly, Grant admired Taylor's leadership skills. He said of Taylor, Grant, General Taylor was not an officer to trouble the administration with his demands, but was inclined to do the best he could with the means given him. If he had thought he was sent to perform an impossibility, he would inform the authorities and let them determine what should be done. If the judgment was against him, he would go on and do the best he could without parading his grievance before the public. Uh, and, and Grant continues, he knew how to express what he wanted to say in the fewest well-chosen words and would not sacrifice to the construction of the high sounding sentences. And then he also said, above all, Grant uh, respected Taylor's Songfreud. No soldier could either danger or responsibility more calmly than he. These qualities are rarely found than genius or physical courage. The feeling was mutual. Taylor recognized in Grant what Grant saw in Taylor, which is the ability to get in, get dirty, do the work yourself without complaining. There was one point where they were in Corpus Christi. My sister lived in Corpus. This is kind of fun to connect it to Corpus. They're on the beach in Corpus Christi. And now if you were there, you would see a bunch of oil derricks there, but that's a whole nother podcast. So he's going in the um, Corpus Christi beach and Taylor's riding along. And Grant was trying to get um, the detail, some of the, get some of his men to remove an underwater obstacle on the um, beach. And the men weren't able to do it. So Grant wasn't able to explain sufficiently well. So instead of just yelling at him, he jumped into the water himself, which is up to his waist to work with the men, to show them how to be there with them, not to direct them, but to be on their level. And some of the officers were sort of making fun of Grant, the fact that he got dirty and then old rough and ready admonished these officers. He said to these fancy pants, he said, I wish I had more officers like Grant who would stand ready to set a personal example when needed. And after that point, he was promoted, that is Grant, from temporary second lieutenant to a full second lieutenant in the regular army, which I think was part of his credentials. It's one of the reasons why, you know, when, when Grant was um, elected general of all generals, essentially a general in 1861, he had had made an impact during the Mexican-American War. And he did have credentials. And, and part of it was this recognition by Zachary Taylor. So Taylor is someone who Grant very much admired. But not only that, well, how do we know that Lincoln admired him? Well, we get back to the eulogy. Now notice with my podcast, even though I admire these men that can speak very um, 
laconically and to the point. I, I do tend to ramble a little bit. So we're working on that with the podcast. But if you're still here, you're at least enjoying it enough. So we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. But I digress. We also get back to the, the eulogy itself. And here, oh my gosh, if you get the chance to read this eulogy, curl up when it gets really cold during this fall and read this eulogy. It's so good. I'm just only going to show you some highlights of Lincoln's eulogy. And what he, what he talks about, first of all, he gives a history of Zachary Taylor, what made him really awesome, you know, his experience um, in the Seminole War, um, his experience in the Mexican-American War. The other reason why Lincoln really liked Taylor is that Lincoln, Taylor, and Grant all opposed the war. They were reluctant warriors. They basically thought it was a land grab by the slaveholders but they felt it was necessary to do their duty. When duty called to serve the country, they did it. And that's a whole other podcast when we must resist unjust wars, which all these three men did. But I do think it shows testament to their character, the fact that all three of them viewed it as an unjust war. That's one of the reasons why Lincoln so much admired Taylor and Grant, because they both opposed the war, but nevertheless, they followed their orders and they, and they did what they were called to do to serve their country. The thing that I liked, that, that the qualities that Lincoln identifies in Grant are ones that I think are important because they really embody what Lincoln thinks as well. If you, if you see the virtues of those qualities, it reflects the type of qualities you would like to see in yourself. But what I love about Lincoln's description is, is that he, identifies one signature quality that Taylor possessed. And that is, is that nearly all of his successes in battle, in life, were successes in which the chips were stacked against him when he was either outnumbered, outmanned, or it looked hopeless. He didn't give up, he didn't complain, and he kept moving. And go back and listen to my previous podcast on my man crush, U.S. Grant. That was exactly the way U.S. Grant was. And here I'm going to make a little political commentary. Dems, sometimes you do this too much. You're always making excuses. Hold yourself accountable, right? Get some toughness. So this is something I think Dems need to work on. You can't have a situation of blame. Now, if your first response is, oh, Rockney Cole said um, Dems need to improve their toughness, you're not getting the point you need to embody the qualities of U.S. Grant. If you get tough, you're going to attract some of the union guys back to your cause, the union men and women, because those guys are badasses. They don't want weakness. They want toughness because we want people who will fight no matter what the odds or what are, no matter what the obstacles. And that's the type of characteristics that Lincoln greatly admired in Zachary Taylor. He said, um, Passing, he, review, he was reviewing at the eulogy all of um, Taylor's battles, and he said, and I quote, um, passing review in General Taylor's military history, some striking peculiarities will appear. None of the six battles which he fought, excepting perhaps that of Monterey, presented a field which would have been selected by an ambitious captain upon which to gather laurels. So as far as fame was concerned, the, pro, the prospect in advance was, you may lose, but you cannot win. Yet Taylor, in his blunt, business-like view of things, never seems to have thought of that. He never considered failure. 
It was the attempt to try to win. He said, it did not happen to General Taylor once in his life to fight a battle on equal terms. Now note, note what he says here, on terms advantage, advantageous to himself. And yet he was never beaten and never retreated. In all the odds were greatly against him. In each, defeat seemed inevitable, and yet in all, he triumphed. Wherever he was led, while, while ever the battle still raged, the issue was painfully doubtful. Yet in each and all, when the din had ceased and the smoke had blown away, our country's flag was still seen fluttering in the breeze. Now here, I have no idea whether Lincoln is hearkening to Francis Scott Key's Star Spangled Banner, but I think it's, it seems very visual. The flag is still there, the Star Spangled Banner. But then he also says, what were these actual characteristics that um, allowed him to win? Because you can be stubborn, you can be tough, you can be tenacious and still lose. And here he, he, he talks about what his leadership quality was, which essentially is steadiness in the midst of chaos. Lincoln writes in this eulogy, General Taylor's battles were not distinguished for brilliant military maneuvers, but in all, he seems rather to have conquered by the exercise of a sober and steady judgment coupled with the dogged incapacity to understand that defeat was possible. His rarest military, military trait was a combination of negatives, absence of excitement, absence of fear. He could not be flurried and he could not be scared. You see exactly why, friends, Lincoln and Grant bonded in the Civil War. Because one of the things that we find in life is that it's very hard to know how people will react until the bullets start flying, until the smoke on the battlefield is there. You almost never know. And these are the qualities that Lincoln saw in Grant. These are qualities that Lincoln admired in Taylor. And I think as you're trying to identify your own life and your own issues, are you able to keep a calm state of mind? What allows you to be calm amidst the battles of life? And I think that is just so key in understanding Lincoln and also in understanding Lincoln's admiration of Zachary Taylor. But then here's something else that I love. And, and here's where Lincoln almost foreshadows the emergence of someone like a Nelson Mandela who I love. You talk about the constellation of my heroes. Nelson Mandela, MLK, U.S. Grant, Abe Lincoln. Taylor's up there. All the slave elders, though. George Washington, Jefferson. It's tough. I get it. The only thing I can think of, this is another podcast, is that, well, we're, we're, we're sinners. It was awful. It was horrible. Um, and I do believe that even the people that have committed the, this the heinous sin, um, you know, they did have virtue. And I think that um, Taylor's saving grace is his inspiration to Lincoln and U.S. Grant that did crush that terrible institution. But here's the other quality that, he, that Lincoln identifies in Taylor that I absolutely love. And it also is something that Grant had as well. 
which is in the battlefield, tough as nails, fighters, dogged, pertinacious. Lincoln uses the word, or, or Gene Edward Smith uses the word, he had a type of Sangfreud. <laughs> that word, Sangfreud, that's a $5 word that I'm going to love. I'm, I'm going to use, can you imagine using the word Sangfreud in a language? You probably get some of the bars that I hang out, you probably get punched for using that term. But evidently, he had a type of Sangfreud. And, but then once he wins, this is what Nelson Mandela had, an absolute iron will. But once you win, you forgive. No, no revenge. Lincoln loves the magnanimity of Zachary Taylor. He said he pursued no man with revenge. And he talks about a Colonel Worth who had disrespected him at some point. And Taylor had an opportunity to um, inflict revenge upon Mr. Worth at a point in time where he could have humiliated him, yet he did not. He did not humiliate him. He chose what was best for the truth and for the troops. That is what he really loved about Taylor. He did his duty. He was tough as nails. He focused on what mattered and he served his country with dignity. And I think so often when we think about these leadership qualities, these are timeless leadership qualities that exist forever. And I think it's good to remind too that they're not magical. These qualities must rest with us because what Lincoln states is, is that as good as Worth was, or sorry, Taylor was, it's worth nothing unless there's the confidence of the people to sustain the leader. He said, and he's saying, you know, what, the, another word uh, in, in eulogy sometimes is an encomium, you know, where you're just sort of a flowery praise that they did no wrong. And, and Lincoln's getting real with us. He says, I, I know that he's not the be all be all. Lincoln says, and I quote, I will not pretend to believe that all the wisdom or all the patriotism died with General Taylor. But we know that wisdom and patriotism in a public office under institutions like ours are wholly inefficient and worthless unless they are sustained by the confidence and the devotion of the people. And Lincoln here then confesses his fear. This is very interesting. He really confears. I think one of the reasons why he supported the slaveholder is he felt that maybe, you know, he was one of the few that could deliver and save the union from all the death, maybe even to have a moment of amazing grace to maybe even to be the one to abolish slavery. I mean, that is my theory. Maybe that's why. Maybe he thought that the slaveholder would somehow find the wisdom to free the slaves. It's hard to say. But we know that Lincoln, at least in his statement in this eulogy, fears the consequence of what's going to happen once Taylor's dead. He's, he has some anxiety here. And here's what he says. He said, between public measures regarded as antagonistic, there is often less real differences in its bearing upon public weal than is either between the dispute being kept up 
or being settled either way. I fear the one great question of the day is not so likely to be partially acquiesced in the different sections of the union as it would have been could Taylor have been spared to, yet, to us. Yet, or, yet under all circumstances, trusting to our maker through his wisdom and confidence to the great body of our people, we will not despair nor despond. He talked about him being the quiet sentinel, doing his duty. And then in sort of poetic um, finish, he um, commends the American people because we are only as good as the leaders that we elect. And he said, nor can I help but thinking of the American people in electing General Taylor to the presidency, thereby showing their high appreciation of the sterling but unobtrusive qualities did their country a service and themselves, here he emphasizes, themselves an imperishable honor. It is much for the country to know that treading the hard path of duty as he trod it will be noticed and will lead to high places. And then he says poetically, but he is gone. The conqueror at last is conquered. The fruits of his labor, his name, his memory and example are all that is left to us. His example verifying the great truth that he that humbleth shall be exalted teaching that the serves one country with a singleness of purpose gives assurance of the country's gratitude, securing its best honors and makes a dying bed soft as downy um, pillows. And then he concludes in dramatic melancholy, the death of the, the late president may die, die without its use and reminding us that we too must die. Death abstractly considered as the same with the high as with the low, but practically we are not so much aroused to the contemplation of our own mortal natures by the fall of many undistinguished as that of one great and well-known name. By the latter, we are forced to muse and ponder sadly. And then here he quotes, well, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Lincoln's favorite poem by William Knox. And I'm gonna read it again. It's just too good. Maybe you didn't listen to the first podcast, so I'm on, on why should this beer of the mortal be proud? So I'm going to read it again. Then I'm going to give you a little bit of background how he got to, gave the speech. It says, oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud by William Knox? By the way, Lincoln did not know who wrote the poem. He just randomly saw it in a paper and remembered it till the day he died. So the multitude goes like the flower, the weed that withers away to let others succeed. So the multitude comes, even those we behold, to repeat every tale that has often been told. But we are the same our fathers have been. We see the same sights our fathers have seen. We drink the same streams and see the same sun and run the same course our fathers have run. They loved but the story we cannot unfold. They scorned but the heart of the haughty is cold. They grieved but no wail from their slumbers will come. They joyed, but the tongue of their gladness is dumb. They died, I they died, we think that are now, that work on the turf that lies on their brow, and make in their dwellings a transient abode, meet the things that they met on their pilgrimage road. Yea, hope and despondency, pleasure and pain are mingled together in sunshine and rain, and the smile and the tear and the song and the dirge still follow each other like surge upon surge. Tis the wink of an eye, tis the draught of a breath, from the blossoms of health to the paleness of death, from the gilded saloon to the beer in the shroud, oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud?
Lincoln's favorite poem on death. Now, certain literary critics, I'm not a big rhyming guy, so I, I'll just leave to you English majors, whether this is an actual good poem or not. But for me, since Lincoln liked it, I liked it, and I think it's awesome. So read it. It's good. William Knox, oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? The other thing is, and maybe I should have started this with the beginning, is sort of the background on this poem. So or on this on this eulogy. So if you can imagine that, uh, this is why Lincoln's Lincoln, you and I are, you and I, we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, Lincoln's like top five guy. You and I are kind of try, trying to strive. Maybe you are, you're probably all awesome, but you know, I'm a try hard guy. You know, like I try hard, but I admire people like Lincoln because if you can imagine he produced this thing of beauty. Now, here's the interesting thing that I would like, and maybe we don't have these details, but here's the facts that we know for sure. Taylor dies July 9th, 1850. We know that. We also know, point number two, that Lincoln is in trial at a patent trial, which for you trial lawyers out there, if you want to spend in a trial, oh my gosh, it is super intense. It's like one of the most intense things you can do. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's intense. Lincoln gives a speech July 25th of 1850. Now, if we're to believe the historical record, um, the committee in Chicago that organized this, this eulogy or this commemoration of Zachary Taylor extends the invitation July 26, 1850, um, Lincoln accepts July 24th of 1850, and he gives the speech July 25th of 1850. Now, I'm sorry, I, I don't believe that Lincoln actually put together a speech of this power um, in a day. <laughs> Just don't believe that. Someone must have tipped him off. I mean, either that or Lincoln must have known that he would be asked. You know, it's sort of like if, you know, John Lennon dies, is Paul McCartney going to be asked? Yeah, he is, he's going to be asked to give the order. I mean, he's going to be, be part of the festivity. So Lincoln must have started preparing as soon as he received word. But still, if, if he had three weeks to prepare, that, this still, the speech, this, this speech itself is better than some of, I couldn't even write this in my entire lifetime. And Lincoln does it in three weeks at most. And at least if the historical record is accurate, he did this in less than a day. That just like, that just blows my mind. This is one of the reasons why Lincoln is Lincoln. This is why people just study him forever. The guy was truly gifted. And all I'll say is this, is that, you know, when we study flawed people, I, I think one of the things we have these big historical debates about, you know, people with flaws, um, really think about, well, what can we learn? Do we, do, we, do we look to only study people without flaws or people who have committed sin? Um, no, I think we study people that are flawed, flawed but heroic figures. And that's certainly what Zachary Taylor was. He was a flawed figure. Um, he embraced a system of slavery. Yet the two men who liberated our country from slavery loved Zachary Taylor. So in the Greek philosophical tradition, they're, they're obsessed with the consequences of a paradox, an enigma, two seemingly contradictory things. And I think that's all we really can say. 
as we study, as, as Lincoln indicates in his second inaugural, the mystic chords of memory of our country, that our country is wrapped in all sorts of paradoxes um, that I think we just sort of can ponder. And one of them is, is there was a man named Zachary Taylor, flawed character, but who secured our union in an indirect way um, due to his inspiration of men like Abe Lincoln and U.S. Grant. And this is left to us as a historical legacy. It was almost lost to history, discovered about 60 years afterwards. And, and, and in preparing for this podcast, I relied heavily on the work of um, a Reverend William Barton. And, and it was essentially a, a, a General Edward, let's see here. General Edward Baker, I think was the guy who would actually, or not General, Honorable Edward Baker, he must have been a judge, a fellow Lincoln aficionado who discovered the speech in the early 1920s. And he passed it on to William Barton, Barton, who evidently was the Lincoln guru. And, and, and Barton wrote an extensive amount on the preparation of this speech. So, wow, here it is. This, this podcast is a little bit um, longer, but gosh, I just love Abe Lincoln and I love my man crush, U.S. Grant. And I'm kind of obsessed with this period of history, 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, because so many things that we're dealing with now really find their roots in this time period. So we're going to continue on the Rocky cast to talk about Abe Lincoln and U.S. Grant, maybe a little bit on Old Rough and Ready, a little bit on what happened in the Mexican-American War. Because so much of that is now manifesting itself now. History is like this great, um, essentially, field where these seeds are planted and they grow over time in various directions in various mystery, mysterious ways. So, friends, I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I had and put it on for you. Infinite gratitude to every single one of you who tune into the Rockney Cast. We're trying to grow our hearty little group of, of Rockney Cast um, listeners. Um, we have a Focus now, finally, a liberal arts podcast, helping us strengthen our minds, our bodies, and our spirit. And hopefully that's what we're doing every time you tune in, that you get inspired to learn, to strengthen your mind, to strengthen your body, and to strengthen your spirit, and that you spread the word. So hopefully continue to give us positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere where podcasts are, are heard. Share this with other friends, write a review, write a write a letter of recommendation for me, laugh about it, share it with your friends, cuddle up when you're hunkering down during the, the winter and listen to it. Do it, do what you can to get the word out. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to continue to put on high quality podcast. I'm really pumped. I'm heading up to Northeast Iowa this weekend, my home territory. I'm going to have a fabulous weekend. And I always love being in Iowa City too, our, our great old capital for this great state of Iowa that we all love so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time on The Rockney Cast.